legitimate force to reckon with in the battle or are we kind of floating through it kind of being dead weight in the battle and the more and more I see what's going on in the world today the more and more I just I'm praying that the people of God will get engaged in the work of the ministry because people are dying and they don't know the Lord because they've never heard the gospel While you're listening to today's message, you're probably not actively engaged in combat, but there's something you need to know. There is a war happening. It's not in another country, and in fact, it's not even visible, but it's a war nonetheless. It's a battle between good and evil. Pastor Daniel will be calling you to join the fighting by spreading the truth of Jesus everywhere you go. People need the gospel message. They need hope. They need a chance at new life. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Deuteronomy chapter 3 as he continues his message, The Desert Years Revisited. There's a group of people who end up settling on the east side of the Jordan River. God's promised land, the eastern border, was meant to be the Jordan River. But remember, these two and a half tribes right? Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. They saw this land, and they had lots of livestock, and they said, this is good land. Can we have it? And there was that whole thing that went on where Moses says, this is not okay because you don't want to go in with your brethren and take the land, and you're going to settle over here, and you're going to forget God, and all these things are going to go on. And they assuaged Moses' fear. And so now we see not only that Moses reminds them that these two and a half tribes are settling on the east side of the Jordan, but we're also getting kind of where they landed. Now, there's a number of place markers here things that you would remember from your Bible. So you find out things like Chinnereth here. That's what you would call the Sea of Galilee. It's also called Chinnereth in different places. And so you have the River Arnon, which you keeps popping up in your Bible. And so what's amazing, if you read your Bible, and if I was doing a more in-depth study, I would take each one of these things and I would say, hey, these are the things that happen in this place. And these are the things that happen in this place. And these are the things that happen in this place. And that's a fun study. If you want to understand things in your Bible deeper, you can see all these different things that happen there. But oftentimes, God returns to specific places to do something specific and unique. Like we find the river Jabuk in there. Who remembers how Jacob ended up with a limp at the river Jabuk? See, these places are referred to again. And so it is interesting here that because of where they're living, the bodies of water end up becoming unique markers, right? So we saw the dead, the salt sea in there, which today we call the Dead Sea, right? It's with the mountains of Pisgah. So all these places pop on up over and over and over again. But we were reminded that these two and a half tribes settled on the east side of the Jordan. Now, remember I made the point when we studied this together, and I think it's always important to be refreshed and reminded of it, and the reason I think it's important to do that is because 
We're getting redundancy in the word. We're getting a recapitulation. So it would make sense for us to also recapitulate the main themes of this. And that the problem with the decision of the tribe of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh is that they liked being just outside of what God had promised them. They were close enough that they were almost there, but they weren't there. And what they didn't realize is if you fast forward into history that when the children of Israel are being oppressed and challenged by other uh, regimes, that the people on the east side of the Jordan are always the first ones to go. So God's design was to have the Jordan River be a natural barrier for the children of Israel to be protected. And those who landed on the east side, they although not realizing at the time because they saw the land and they saw it was good for their cattle, actually placed themselves in a vulnerable position that was going to haunt them later. And it reminds us, remember when you think of somebody who sees land and this is a good land and they settle there? Doesn't it remind you of a man named Lot? See, Lot and Abraham, as they were traveling, their goods and their servants and their livestock was growing, right? So they decided that they were going to split on off. Now, what's amazing is, is that God had promised Abraham all this land, but Abraham says, Lot, you can choose the place that you want. You choose one side, I'll choose the other side. And Lot looks at the plains of Sodom and Gomorrah and says, I'll go over there, right? He's making a decision based by sight not in the realm of the spirit. Because it was a beautiful land. The only problem is it was on the border of Sodom and Gomorrah. And by the time we meet Lot later, he's living in Sodom. And all these things go on that you're like, this is a train wreck. Now, the apostle Peter told us that Lot was a righteous man and that what he saw tormented him. But he was negatively impacted by the environment that he had chosen. And just like these two and a half tribes, they're not settling in God's best. They want to be on the outside because they like what they see and it's close enough. So brothers and sisters, listen. Don't allow yourself to be content with close to God's best. But you got to hold out for God said the land of promise, that the Jordan River is the border, and I only want to be inside the boundaries of what God has promised for us. And I think a lot of us make the mistake of settling because we are unwilling to be patient and wait and trust in God's best. And if that's you today, there's no judgment, but amend your ways. Make a different decision. Don't settle for close to God's best, but hold out for God's best. And say, God, if this is the prescribed boundaries, Lord, I'm going to trust you that see like they saw the land on the east side they had never been into the promised land so they didn't know what the land looked like they were we like this land and isn't that why we settle we assume that God does not have something better than what's right in front of us that's why we settle we haven't seen something else we just assume oh this is good and if I don't take this one a better one might not come along later and we make bad decisions because of it and we find that Reuben and Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh, although God did give them the land, they end up being the first ones in exile every time something goes on. Long before the Assyrians conquered the ten northern tribes, the people on the east side were already subjugated. 
because that natural barrier that God had placed there, the Jordan River, part of the land that he promised, was not there to protect them. So, let's pick up in verse 18. Look what it says. Then I commanded you at that time, saying, the Lord your God has given you the land, this land to possess. All you men of valor shall cross over, armed before your brethren. Verse 18, the children of Israel. Verse 19, but your wives, your little ones, and your livestock, I know that you have much livestock, shall stay in your cities, which I have given you until the Lord has given rest to your brethren as to you, and they also possess the land which the Lord your God is giving them beyond the Jordan. Then each of you may return to his possession which I have given you. Now, in Numbers 32, we went over all of this, but what we're reminded here is that although God was allowing them to settle on the east side, the men needed to go in and fight as if they were taking the promised land. And what Moses' concern was, it was a repeat of the mistake that they made with the 12 spies, where they went in and they're choosing this because they really didn't want to have to go to battle, that these battles were won and they wanted to just stay there. So the women and the children were allowed to stay in the cities with the livestock, but all the men still needed to go with their brethren and take the land. And so it was a reminder that they still needed to be in the battle. Now, let me get, let's apply that. All of us are still in, in the spiritual battle. And really what I want to exhort and encourage you is that there is no sitting on the sidelines of the battle. Because really, if you're a believer in Jesus, you are in the battle. And when you're in your mind sitting on the sidelines, all you're doing is dragging the people of God down by being not useful in the battle. No matter what age you are, no matter where you find yourself, you are part of a battle that rages every single day in every single community, in every single nation on this entire globe, and that is a battle for souls. And there is no sitting on the sidelines not being involved. And that's an important thing to realize. You might be saying, well, listen, so Pastor Dad, that's great, but listen, you're a young guy and you got energy and you're excited about this. I've been at this for a while. You could be a, a prayer warrior. You know, some of you, the reason you're not growing is because you are sitting on your hands. You're not doing anything. You're not serving anybody. And you wonder why you're sick and tired. Because it's all about you. You need to get off of your hands. You need to roll up your sleeves and there's work to be done. See, every single one of us needs to find ourselves involved in the war effort. And the war is not with guns, and it's not with people going and killing people. It's the work of the ministry. You know, I remember reading this great article about this, about what happened during World War II in the United States. When America entered World War II, they started to convert cruise liners into Navy installation ships. And all of a sudden, you know, you know, you know, I've never been on a cruise ship because floating around on water doesn't sound like vacation to me personally. But some of you like that. So I, I don't know what a cruise room is like, but I would imagine if you're going to pay that kind of money to be on a boat, it's going to be pretty nice, right? And, but like they have these beautiful rooms and they're all decked out. And so one family can be in this great big room with a big bathroom and the whole thing. But then when it's time for war, you take that one big room and you can fit like 20 servicemen in there. And it shows the difference of how you live in peacetime and how you live in the midst of a battle. And I think we have to ask ourselves the question, are we a legitimate force to reckon with in the battle or are we kind of floating through it 
kind of being dead weight in the battle. And the more and more I see what's going on in the world today, the more and more I just, I'm praying that the people of God will get engaged in the work of the ministry. Because people are dying and they don't know the Lord because they've never heard the gospel. I made it through four years of college before someone shared the gospel with me. Imagine, I went to a university with 30,000 students in it. I didn't hear the good news gospel message of Jesus Christ until I was 21 years old. Born and raised here in the States. How is it possible? Because nobody shared it with me. Why did nobody share it with me? We have to say, Lord, I want to be a part of the solution. Remember how I said that we need to move from fear and let it be a trigger for faith? You need to make complaining a trigger for self-sacrificial service. Every time you want to complain about the world, you need to say to yourself, why am I complaining? I should be a part of the solution. I should bring blessings into the world. Maybe the reason I'm complaining is because I'm a spoiled brat who's not doing anything. You didn't think you were going to come to church to get offended, but hey. (laughs) But listen, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Because every time I want to complain about something, the Lord's like, why are you complaining, Daniel? There's work to be done. Instead of complaining, which does nothing, why don't you start to do something that might help? In every situation, the things that bother you, you also, by the power of the Holy Spirit, have the opportunity to bring and effect change through. You might say, oh, I don't like this thing. Well, change it. But it's a lot easier to complain because we complain from the easy chair and we don't want to do anything. And I think that we have to start with prayer. We have to say, God, why does this bother me? What about it bothers me? And Lord, what can I control? What can I change? How can I be a part of the thing that undercuts this thing that I think is wrong? But too often, and especially in a day and age like ours where people can make a Facebook post and feel like they're helping. I always tell my generation, the younger generation, I'm like, look, just because you post it on Facebook doesn't mean you're actually helping anything. It's like, oh, this thing, you know, it's like they post this thing. And it's like posting it on Facebook doesn't actually change anything. You actually have to do something other than just update your status. So allow this for me to be a gentle nudge to get off the bench and into the game. The needs are everywhere. There is opportunity and there is need for people in every nook and cranny, not only of Crossroads Community Church and the ministries we do here, which are amazing, but in every nook and cranny of our community, in every nook and cranny of our world, everywhere we look, there is brokenness. We, some of us on staff were talking today about all that's going on with homelessness in downtown Vancouver right now. And you have to ask yourself, what can we do to help? How do we help? What's the best way to help? You have to ask yourself those questions and being the people that God created us to be. And I love this because what happens is is when you settle, you have a tendency to disengage from the work. And that's what Moses is exhorting these two and a half tribes not to do. Because you're settling on the east side, don't disengage from the battle that's going to go on. And if you're here today and you're saying, man, I've gotten disengaged from the battle, 
Let this be the trumpet call to get back into it, to be a part of what God is trying to do to bring blessings and peace into a world that is so full of strife and brokenness. Now, someone at this point always says, well, you know, Pastor Jada, that's all great, but like my life's a train wreck. And I'm here to tell you the best way to fix your train wreck is to go serve other people. It's the best way because it gets your eyes off of yourself and onto somebody else. And Jesus said, you're more blessed to give than receive. And all of us serve out of our brokenness. There's not a person who rolls up their sleeves and serves. Nobody does it out of, I have everything together. You're like, Jesus has everything together. I have nothing together. I'm with that guy. And I'm going to trust in his wholeness. And he's going to use my brokenness as an opportunity to show that only God can use someone like that person. I find that when I am down and discouraged, the best thing I can do is go help somebody else. The best thing I can do. Sometimes I'll have that like on a Sunday evening after Sunday church where I'm just, I tried to give everything I could in the family room and from the pulpit. And I gave everything I could and I come home and I'm just wiped out. I gave it all. And then all of a sudden I'm sitting there and I'm, you know, crying in my coffee, so to speak. You know what I mean? I'm just feeling, oh, I don't know what happened today. And maybe I said something stupid. I probably did. And everyone's like, yeah, you did. You know what I mean? And all, you know, and all that stuff. And I messed this thing up and someone's upset that I did this. And you get through all this stuff. And then all of a sudden I I find myself in the the pity party. And I, I just think to myself, you know, I should probably go help Lynn with the kids. You know, and I get up, I'll start doing the dishes. You know what I mean? I'll just find something to do. And then they'll come in, look at you doing the dishes. Scoring husband points. I feel instantly better. <laughs> you know what I mean? She's like, look at you go, you know. Or go out and play soccer with Obadiah. And in two seconds, I'm not thinking about anything except how cool my son is. Because he's like, Dad, I just want to play some soccer. Come on, let's play some soccer. Let's come on. You know? And so you, go, you serve your way into the peace of God. And so I just, I wasn't planning on sharing that, but we're going to let that sit where it does. Amen? Okay, look at what it says next. In verse 21, it says, I commanded Joshua at that time, saying, Your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. So will the Lord do to all the kingdoms through which you pass. You must not fear them For the Lord your God himself fights for you. Then I pleaded with the Lord at that time, verse 23, saying, O Lord God, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do anything like the works and your mighty deeds? I pray, let me cross over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, those pleasant mountains and Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me on your account. I would not listen to me. So the Lord said to me, enough of that. Speak no more to me of this matter. Go up to the top of Pisgah and lift your eyes toward the west and the north, the south and the east. Behold it with your eyes, for you will not cross over this Jordan, but command Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him, for he shall go over before this people and he shall cause them to inherit the land which you will see. So we stayed in the valley opposite Beth Peor. These two subjects now are intertwined, the commissioning and the encouragement of Joshua and the Lord's denial of Moses' plea to enter the promised land. 
Two things are intertwined here. And it's the time for this because now they are on the border of the Jordan where this is all taking place. And they're reminded, one, that God had called Joshua to be the next leader of the children of Israel. Moses' job ended at the border of the Jordan River. And it was not God's design for Moses to bring the children of Israel into the promised land, right? And God had chosen Joshua, and God wanted first A in verse 21 and 22 for Moses to remind Joshua that just what he's seen with the defeat of the king Sihon and Og, that's what God's going to do to all the places when they go in the promised land. That seeing how God defeated these kings, Joshua should take heart because God was going to do that in the promised land, right? And then Moses goes back to the Lord again, says, oh, Lord, come on, please. I see what you're doing. You're moving in a mighty way, Lord. Let me go into the promised land. And God says, no. Now, listen, sometimes in prayer, God says, no. I'm reminded of that old saying, in prayer, God answers in three ways. Go, slow, or no. And oftentimes, we just want God to say yes all the time, right? Sometimes God says no. And that is God's prerogative. And listen, it's okay to tell people, sometimes God says no. Why did God say no to Moses? You want to know why? Because God wanted to remind the children of Israel of something bigger. Moses, the giver of the law, law keeping will never bring a person into the promised land. All the law can do, because Moses is an example of the law right? The giver of the law, the great law giver. The law can only bring you up to the border of the promised land because it was meant to be a tutor to bring us to Christ. See, only Joshua can bring us into the promised land. What is Joshua in Hebrew? It's the word Yahshua, which we get our word what? Jesus. It means God our salvation. See, the law can't bring you into the promised land. Now listen, some of you You're legalistic. You believe if you do X, Y, and Z, then God is going to accept you. You have a works righteousness style of Christianity. I'm here to tell you that is not Christianity at all. Not one of us can do the works that will make God accept us. We've already failed too profoundly at it. The message of Christianity is that what we can't do, Jesus has done. And Joshua brings us into the promised land because Jesus did the work that we failed to do. And he died a death in our place. Joshua had to be the one to bring them into the promised land so that none of us would ever think that by worshiping on this special day or doing it this special way or having this special haircut or whatever is going to get you into heaven. The only thing that gets a person into the family of God as belief in his son. Jesus is real. There are many places in the Bible that point to a truth we'd rather not admit. We can't always do it on our own. And today's message made that clear again. The Israelites could not survive their years in the wilderness alone. Pastor Daniel detailed how God stepped in to do what people could not. When they trusted him, they were successful in war and in daily living. 
God does the same for you. If you're in the middle of something impossible, turn it over to the Lord. See what he will do. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I realize that there are many of you, you're not a born again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I want to begin to follow Jesus. I want to help you do that right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. I want to help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED to 51400, S-A-V-E-D to 51400. And my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel moves from the retelling of Israel's time in the wilderness to a recounting of God's law. While it may seem tedious and unnecessary to review this part of the Bible, it's beneficial to believers today. It's a lifestyle that God desires to see in His people in order to show others that we aren't like the world. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Refresh. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.